a girl wouldn't take you out, but body blows might. The state of your overhand is a proper sore sight. Could duck under and hit you with an on-the-nose right that'll put you to sleep faster than a Holly Holm fight. Welcome and wobbled by a jab. freestyle by the way and I'll pre-run <laughs> so don't judge me on them all right so let's just get right into it man this this week has been a weird week in MMA because a Holly home fight caused a bunch of controversy about scoring I mean if there was going to be a fight that created the discussion about bad judging it was probably going to be a women's fight because they all go to the fucking judges so it's going to become more obvious in those right but yeah, I don't I don't quite see the argument for it. I watched the fight. I can kind of see I can the, right, if you're not aware, the controversy right now is that Ketlin Vieira beat Holly Holm on a decision. Uh and a lot of people are calling it a robbery. I don't really think it was a robbery. I mean, I thought Holly Holm probably won the fight. Uh but I don't I don't think Vieira was so far out of the fight that she lost. And if you look at certain criteria, like the the judging criteria in the UFC changes all the time. Uh, a lot of people don't realise how often it changes. There's amendments to it constantly. So to even even the people in the know need to make a, a pro, an actual effort to stay in the know because of how often it changes. So uh, the, 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 the judging criteria does outline damage as the primary factor. And Ketlin Vera did land the more significant strikes uh, throughout the fight. Uh, not necessarily. Do you know what? Let's break down the fight and then we'll have this conversation after. So the the fight starts. I would say round one is the easiest round to score, um, because there wasn't there wasn't like a moment where Vieira was on top. Uh, not just like position wise. I'm talking about there wasn't a moment where she looked like she was beaten home. Uh, so as it, it starts off first minute or so. Uh, they're largely just trading leg kicks. Nothing too significant is landed. Home does do a better job of checking the leg kicks and, and dealing with the leg kicks than Vieira does. But to say that she's good at dealing with the leg kicks would be a stretch. She's better than Vieira, but not not good at it. She just makes more of an effort to do it, and Vieira makes almost none. Uh, it eventually ends up with Holly Home in control. Uh, no, it actually ends up with Ketlin Vieira holding Holly Holm against the cage, which is immediately reversed um, by Holly Holm, which happens twice in this round. Uh, I believe before the takedown happened, there was two failed takedown attempts um, from Vieira via... She attempted a wizard throw or, or like a, a head and arm throw, uh, and she, she failed twice. Throughout the round, there was four... four she was, went 0-4 on takedown attempts. Once she did get her down, which some people seem to be counting as a takedown, I don't know if it did officially, but... Home got up immediately and basically she was basically just quad podding and then got up straight away. Like Vera didn't mount anything off the top of uh off the top of getting all four of her of her all four points of contact on the ground kind of thing. So I don't think that actually counts as a takedown. I think you actually have to do something with it 
um, whether it even just be maintain a position on the ground before it actually counts as a takedown. So either way, it wasn't anything that would add damage. So it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't really add your add, give you points kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, most the vast majority of the round was just spent with Holly Holm landing like nothing special knees uh, against the fence. Uh, so like pretty much even apart from Holm did a slightly better job with the leg kicks in the first minute and then the rest of the round was spent with failed takedown attempts from Vieira and then Vieira getting reversed along the fence and getting knees landed on her. Holm did a, land a few elbows um, against the fence, nothing significant, but she was hitting her and making contact with it. Uh, and there wasn't a point in the round, as I said, where Vieira looked to be in any kind of uh, any kind of control or particular danger. Uh, so I scored that round one 0 home, and I think the majority of people agree with me. Uh, the the next the next round opened uh, similar to how the first one opened. Uh, Holly Holm landing leg kicks. Vera was throwing them as well, but again, less, less, uh, less meaningful with them. Uh, Holly Holm started using oblique kicks as well to keep the range because what Vieira started doing was timing the leg kick and trying to throw uh, punches off the back of it. So Holm switched it to an oblique kick. Uh, if you're not aware of, it. like, there's a lot of talk about oblique kicks being like this really damaging kick uh, that should be banned. There was talk last year when uh, Khalil Roundtree. Uh, ended a fight with a kick that they should be banned I seriously disagree I don't think they should be they're they're more of a utility kick uh, kind of like a jab but for your feet it's a safe way of, of keeping range and it also the main reason for them is it prevents counters like you can if you oblique kick someone and you land it properly or even if you don't even just the threat of it they have to back their hips up to prevent damage from it uh, and to to like stop it just works like a jab it works like a prodding jab uh, except for your legs so uh, I don't I don't understand why it's obviously it's if you get hit with it the fear is that it's going to invert your knee the wrong way but you're more likely to get hurt from that kick if it lands on the side of your knee and bends it that way because your leg isn't just it doesn't just your foot will move before your knee inverts itself. Obviously, the the, the round tree injury was one. Um, it also happened to Stephen Thompson when he fought Darren Till. Darren Till kept prodding his leg that way, and he ended up having to get surgery on. I don't know what part of his leg it was, but he had to get as a result of that, which is why Stephen Thompson doesn't use that kick, and he would benefit from that kick because. It would work well for Thompson's kind of range of game step in kicks, but instead he prefers to use a leg kick, but he could use it. But yeah, uh, and it happened again as well with Mark Chikadze. Uh, he put Timo Pakalan, I think it was, out for years after after using that. Uh, so what happened in that fight was Chikadze uh, landed the oblique kick and Pakalan presumably felt the fact his knee just went like it got the injury and he ran in trying to like bomb him and he just got he just got like knocked out when he tried to do that uh he obviously is like clocked that his knee got injured and then tried to finish the fight because he's like well i'm not fucking making it to the end of this fight now and he and he got finished but yeah as i was saying uh the the, the reason that oblique kicks are effective is because you can keep the distance uh, and, it, and it stops counter punching as well so ideally you want to throw the oblique kick 
uh, and then step in quickly and get maybe a one-two off or just a, like a power hand shot or something while their hips are still backed up because you obviously can't counter if your hips aren't in position. If, well, you can't counter effectively. Um, or what you can do is throw your combination or throw a, throw ideally a short combination if you're going to use the oblique kick to to like accent it because it is like counter prevention so you don't want to throw like a fucking six punch combo and then and then use it because you're already like you're you're way too deep into the range um and you're probably backing them up already if you're doing that so throwing the oblique kick on the end of it isn't isn't very useful but if you say you've got a tendency to throw um like your 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 rear hand uh, as a lead and just throw that naked you can add an oblique kick as an accessory on the end of that because it prevents a counter like if you're throwing a shot that's easily countered so uh home should have been doing that because she was keeping the range nice and Vera was backing her hips up every time home through the oblique kick uh but she wasn't capitalizing on it at all so yeah, as I'd like to see more oblique kicks in MMA just as a side point here because it is a really useful kick, but a lot of people kind of frown on it because it's it's viewed as dirty for some reason. But yeah, uh, home home wasn't using it. She was using it effectively to keep Vera out of range, especially Vera who was clearly looking to to take uh, home down for a, for a decent part of this fight. And obviously, you can't shoot a takedown if you're backing your hips up. So it's it's effective. It's effective. I've also seen it used um to like throw the oblique kick, kick and then shoot in in a takedown while their hips are coming back in because it's like you, you're hardly going to be sitting thrusting in the middle of the ring. Eh? It's kind of awkward because you you your hips back up when you throw the oblique kick and then they move back in, uh when you're stepping back into like the range to not not in range like into the range you were just at. Uh. So when people like step in, back in, you can shoot the takedown, and then it's like more effort for they need to like stop their hips moving forward and then move them back again to to sprawl. Obviously more effective in the middle of the octagon. But yeah, I've talked about the bleak kicks for too long. Let's keep going. Uh, Viera, Viera, I would say got the better of the striking exchanges at the early part of this round. Uh, she lands a head kick and has a bit more success with her right hand. Uh, she she hits a throw and does get home down at the start of this round as well. Uh, but home when she tries the reversal against the cage this time uh, after Vera got the takedown home got back up against the cage uh, and then goes to reverse Vera. Vera obviously realizes that when that happened in the first round she basically just gave the whole round away standing against the cage doing nothing because she couldn't get away from the cage once home had her there so Vera disengages uh, this time when home tries to reverse it she just pushes her away and step, steps back Home then gets tagged and tries to shoot a single leg, but she lands in a choke attempt uh, while she's standing up. But she she breaks into a dominant position along the cage, lands some good elbows for the final minute. It's a tight round, um, but I would I would probably slightly edge at Vieira because the grappling exchanges that commenced in this round didn't land damage either way, really. Uh, and the, the 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 biggest damage of the round came in uh, the area where. where Vieira was landing the strikes at the start of the round. So I'd probably give it to Vieira on account of that, but I wouldn't be mad at someone giving it home because it was quite a close round. She did have more control time, which a lot of people look for, uh, and she did land shots of her own, like elbows, which were... They weren't damaging elbows, but she was landing them against the cage in the final minute as well. Uh, round three opens, again, different from round one in, in that Vieira's winning the striking exchanges early, uh, but it ends up again with home holding her against the cage, landing knees, 
Um, they they break. Holmes getting the better of her with striking straight uh, body kicks. She lands an uppercut at one point, and then it's back into the dominant cage position for home. Uh, Vera lands some good shots uh, when they break, but it's it's again like home probably realizing at this point that when they're when they're in striking exchanges, uh, Vera is getting the better of it with her right hand. I think it's just like she was longer and she started after the first round striking exchanges. She was she was getting uh, she was kind of getting the read on home a little bit maybe, and she was landing the right hand a bit more. So home's game plan almost switches to just holding her against the fence and looking for control time. Uh, which I mean, by the end of this round, over half of the fight up to that point had been spent. More than half, uh, yeah, more than half of the fight had been spent with just home holding her against the cage in that same position. Uh, so I'd edge the third to home, but Vera could have taken it despite only really winning about a minute of the round just on damage and significance of the offense. Because although home is controlling the fight, uh, Vera is landing more damage, landing more damage in shots. Uh, and yeah, like, again, this is like half the argument about why this has been so controversial this week. Because it is like the control time versus damage argument. And if you look at the rules, damage is the first criteria, which is why people are saying it's a robbery for Vera. Because it doesn't, the fight's not been judged in accordance with the actual judging criteria. But everyone knows how judges actually judge the fights, and we all know they don't judge them exactly on the judging criteria and home seemed to know that better than Vieira because Vieira was content with just being well probably not content with being held against the fence but uh it happened anyway fourth round opens again with uh, with Holly using the oblique kick to back up the hips of Vieira and stop the counters but she keeps running in with flurries and getting counter punched when she does that she's not landing much on these flurries she's maybe landing a body punch on the third or fourth punch of like a five punch combo but then she's getting fucking hit uh, hard with the, the right hand of Vieira at the end of those combos. So Vieira has been outlanded uh, volume-wise, but she is landing the more significant of the strikes. The first half of that whole round was just pretty much straight kickboxing, but Vieira was coming off best in that regard uh, because she was she was letting home walk onto her uh, with, with those little run-in flurries and then just hitting her as she did that. So home was a more aggressive fighter, but Vieira landing the better punches. Throughout that, though, home's accumulating leg kicks. Uh, I believe at the end of this round, it was something crazy, like 70 to 5 on, on like attacks from the hips down. So, yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's like something to be... To be noted of, but again, like the judges aren't seeing stats. And uh, those that that stat might be wrong, but something in that kind of area because I remember seeing it when I was watching the fight. Uh, here, uh, Vera begins stepping in to the the leg kicks about halfway through this this round, though. Uh, like stepping into them and, and, and catching them on uh, like a lowered leg so that they run up her leg a bit more and then counter and heavy, uh, which was probably the most significant action in this whole round when she started doing that about three minutes in. So yeah, that's that's kind of like the sum up of the round. Home did outlander. Uh, so if you just look at stats, you probably think home won the round. But, v- but Vieira shots were far more damaging. So I would give that round Vieira. But I can definitely imagine a judge giving it to home. And I can definitely imagine a lot of fans giving it to home as well. Round five is the same story. Vieira looking stronger. Home's definitely tired by this point. She's she's slower. She's lost a bit of sharpness. Uh, and Vieira's definitely landing the harder shots. Holmes making connections too. And they are progressively getting better as the round goes on. Uh, she landed three head kicks, mostly front kicks, uh, with a few hard body kicks as well. 
Uh, but again, home racking up control time along the fence. Vieira was throwing elbows, leaving the clinch um, throughout, but home made the read and can, can, kind of saw it coming by the end of this, uh, quite late in the fight as well. Vieira's output just went totally dead near the end of the round, and home did outlast her, I think. Uh, like being the aggressor at the start of this round and a lot of the last round and uh, near the second half of that round uh, which she wasn't doing throughout the rest of the fight maybe tired her a bit more it wasn't in her game plan I guess but her output just went to zero and, and home definitely outlasted her won the second half of that round so I gave the fight 3-2 to Holly Home. I think home won the decision uh, I, I gave it first, third and fifth round to Holly Home. The first was a lock, like Holly Holm definitely got the first round, uh, and the fifth round was the second closest one in terms of in terms of uh, in terms of who won. But Vieira wins it on a split, and a lot of people are calling it a robbery. I I disagree. I don't disagree, but like you can definitely make the argument that Vieira won because the the fourth round was very tight. The third round was very tight and the second round was very tight. The first and the fifth, I would give home. So if you're judging it on like round by round, I would give it home, probably. But overall fight, I'd probably give Vieira the fight. Do you get what I'm saying? So yeah, it's, it's a weird one. And it, and it definitely does open the question of of the judging criteria and, and what you're actually looking for. But it's quite subjective because there's not like a definite way to say this fight should be judged, like, a fight should be judged a certain way. It is quite subjective. I think damage is the way to score it, and that is what's in the rules already, even though it's not necessarily adhered to. So, yeah, uh, let's let's move on to the next fight. I, I didn't, it was quite a boring fight overall, really. It wasn't, like, anything crazy. Was Holly Holm versus Ketlin Vieira, and I guess Holly Holm is now out of the title picture. Next up was uh, Michel Pereira versus Pons and Nibio. Uh, the it was right. I'm a I'm a big fan of Michel Pereira because he's an exciting fighter, and in his last four ish five fights, whatever it's been, he's become a lot more disciplined. Uh, he's he's got a good skill set. He's a capable grappler. He's a capable wrestler. Uh, he's he's a good striker. Uh, he's a good kickboxer. And uh, his his boxing especially really came through in this fight. Uh, it was it was really nice off off the off the off the start. It was stepping off um as as like Ponzinibbio's power shot comes in uh, as his rear hand comes in. He hurt Ponzinibbio twice quite heavily with a, a jab to the body overhand right combo, which is a combo that I really like throwing myself. Uh, and 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 Pereira was having great success with it. Ponzinibbio was backing straight up and ducking his head as his defense, which is just silly. Uh, and he was getting seriously punished for it. There was a lot of opportunities for knees in this fight that Pereira didn't really take advantage of. Uh, but he was working nice with the uppercut, and and he was punishing him with like a kind of uh, stomping overhand right. And uh, and Pereira definitely took the first round pretty comfortably. Uh, round two started much like round one. Ponzinibbio was marching Pereira down, but he wasn't really doing anything <laughs> when he was when he was getting close to him. There wasn't much offense actually being mounted, despite the fact that he was marching him down. Uh, and as soon as Pereira engaged with him, which he did selectively, like uh, Pereira wasn't wasn't giving him every opportunity to engage, uh, every opportunity to engage. Uh, but when he did back, when he did engage with him, Ponzinibbio backed up straight away and got out of the got out of the the, the tussle. 
So yeah, Pereira was definitely looking the better in that. Uh, as as different from the first round, Pereira was landing the left hand as Ponzinibbio moved in. It was backing him into the fence as Ponzinibbio moved straight back, uh, and Ponzinibbio was turning. Uh, to run along the fence rather than like try to slip out. He was literally turning 90 degrees and trying to run along the fence to get away from Pereira, which was someone with such a diverse range of attacks as Pereira does with his like kicking game. It probably wasn't a good idea, and every time he'd done it, he was getting punished with body kicks. Uh, Ponzinibbio then began to land his left hand. Uh, I guess Pereira got a little bit cocky, relied on his evasive movement a bit much because he is obviously the more flair-heavy fighter, and Ponzinibbio can be a bit more textbook. But I guess Pereira relied on his uh, his head movement and his invasive movement a little bit too much. Dropped his hands and, and he got hit with the left hand two, two or three times quite heavily uh, when he was trying to get out of the range. Uh, and Ponzinibbio scored a takedown late in the round. It's kind of hard to say who won that because Ponzinibbio was definitely the more offensive fighter. But I wouldn't necessarily say he landed the more damaging shots. But those two left hands he landed probably was the highlight of the round so I can see it going either way um, but after the third round went like Pereira lands a, a good head kick right at the start of the round and follows it with a right hand. Uh, Ponzinibbio did block the head kick but he only blocked it with one hand and it's still uh, this is this is something that my coach stresses quite heavily he landed it, it's called what was it um, I forget what he, what he refers to it as secondary shock or something. Can't remember. But basically, if your if your guard isn't on your body, isn't on your head, if you're just holding your hand like two inches from your head, and you get hit on your guard, your hat your own hand then hits your head. But it, it it can disorientate you more than if you had just got hit with a punch because your your brain is anticipating to get hit in the head like a split second sooner than the impact is because it's like reverberating your glove off your head rather than just the straight punch hitting you so your brain expects it and then it comes a second later and it, it like disorientates you a little more so always stress to hold your guard and your blocks actually in contact with your head so that you're you're absorbing the blow a bit better but Ponzinibbio doesn't do that he holds, he holds his hand up and gets hit with a head kick right on his hand which then smashes into his own head uh, as, as Pereira's leg falls through uh, and then he gets he gets hit with a right hand off the back of that. Ponzinibbio's defense to to Pereira's right hand is literally just to move his head straight back, but he's he's not got speed on Pereira, and he's too slow to get out of the way of it. So never mind the fact backing your head straight up uh, with no like leg movement and or body movement is a terrible way to defend against a power shot, but he just doesn't have the speed to do it, and he gets hit every single time he does it. Uh, they're going shot for shot about halfway through the round. They're both landing good jabs. Uh, but something that Pereira was doing throughout this fight, which I fucking love, he was using like a teep, but he was digging his toes right into the liver of Ponzinibbio, uh, which is really effective and it doesn't get used a whole lot in MMA. You see it a lot more in like Muay Thai uh, and, and sometimes in certain certain sects of kickboxing and uh, not like Dutch, more kind of like, uh, like, like kind of Eastern kickboxing you kind of see it in, um, but not, not so much in like kind of Dutch style. But uh, yeah, digging his toes right into the liver, which is kind of like, it's almost like gives you like a pressure point hit, but it lasts a, lot long, a bit longer. It's, it's, it's a really effective kick, but you don't see it a whole lot in MMA. Uh, it's quite a hard kick to master, to be fair, but it's, it's exactly the kind of thing you'd expect out of, uh, out of the weird striking arsenal of Mikel Pereira. Uh, but the, the third round ends with both guys just battering fuck out of each other. They're clearly just exhausted. 
uh, and they just they just smash each other the 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 last end of the round. No, like particularly rocking shots, but they're just like hitting each other. Uh, and 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 I think Pereira gets on his dominance in the first half of that round. So I I gave it I gave it probably probably two rounds to one for Pereira, but you could argue three rounds to zero. Um, Ponzinibbio looked the best in the second half of the second round. Um, when I think, but it was I think it was more due to Pereira taking his foot off the gas a little bit and more letting Ponzinibbio into the fight rather than Ponzinibbio stepping up his level. You know what I mean? There was more like Pereira losing than Ponzinibbio winning. If you get what I'm saying. And Pereira gets on a split, and he will go into the welterweight rankings uh, this week. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I hope he I hope he makes a climb. Well, we're waiting. as a good, um, a good weight class for for someone who you could call Pereira. He's more of a striker, but you could definitely call him an all rounder. Um, and and he's I think he's got the tools to to climb a little bit higher in in welterweight. And he's big for welterweight as well, so it wouldn't shock me if he ends up in middleweight. But uh, yeah, he's he's a big guy, but he's thirty five, so he would need to to make a concerted effort to climb up a little bit higher as fast as he can. If that's what he wants to do. Next down the card was uh, Enjikani versus Todorovic, which I didn't like <laughs> because Todorovic is shit. He's so boring. Like he's good. Like skill wise, he's good uh, for for the style he's trying to do. But I just don't like the style because it's like it's it's a grappling wrestling heavy style, but it's it's an offenseless one. Like there's no no mind to score damage at all it's just control based which is not something that i'm a huge fan of but yeah the the fights uh the fight starts with uh todorovic shooting for a takedown pretty much straight away uh enjikani sprawls really nicely and locks up a dar stroke uh pretty much straight away while standing uh brings it down tries to roll on it todorovic gets away uh onto his back he, he doesn't mount an offense though while he's on his back and instead just tries to drag him down to the ground uh, which 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 doesn't really doesn't really work. Most of the round is spent with Todorovic just holding uh, Enjikani against the cage with no offense at all. Didn't like it, but uh, but but Enjikani starts landing hard knees uh, on the break, and and as he is landing those knees, Todorovic tries to get back, and uh, Enjikani grabs his head and lands a fucking cold ass elbow and knocks him the fuck out. Uh, I was gonna give the round despite most of the time being spent out of position to Enjikani just because there was literally zero offense from Todorovic um, and I don't think you can win a round if like there was offense in terms of like seeking control but there was no offense in terms of scoring damage or actually fighting um, so I'm going to give it I would have gave it Enjikani regardless but it was a pretty cool knockout there wasn't a whole lot uh, a whole lot to say about that fight besides that but that's uh Enjikani now 3-0 under the, the UFC banner with some decent wins in Bellator. I think he'd beat Andre Filio. I always struggle to say that. Uh, Andre Filio. Filio. It's like saying Carl in a Scottish accent. It's kind of hard to say. Carl is in like C-A-R-L. You need to say it like Carol in a Scottish accent. Carl, it just it doesn't work. But yeah, uh, I skipped the, the next fight on the card because I didn't want to watch it. Honestly, this was <laughs> it was hard to get it up for this card at all. But yeah. Park V. Anders was next up. Uh, Eric Anders is a very readable fighter and it was more obvious in this fight than it typically is because of uh, the fact that uh, the, 
the fact that Park was kind of playing into his game a little bit. Uh, he, he adjusted, like... He, he, he started the fight off not playing into his game as much, and as the fight went on, he was started playing into his game more. But, yeah, Anders just has no striking threat from his right side. He throws, like, weak, flailing arm punches, uh, and that's the only threat he has coming off the right side. So, And he's obviously always looking to grapple as well. So, if you just move off away from his left hand and kind of keep range. He doesn't really attempt takedowns when you're moving to your when you're moving away from from his power either. He only really shoots takedowns off the one side. So if you just like don't play into that, you should be able to beat him without much struggle. Um he just throws the left continuously, the left straight and moves in. Um that's his that's his, that was his game plan throughout this whole fight. But yeah, he starts off the first round by doing exactly that. Uh, he, he gets caught in a, in a threatless standing guillotine uh, and the same sequence repeats about three times in this fight, in this round uh, Anders, Anders takes the first round simply on control time because there wasn't really any damage scored from either of them and Anders was the more aggressive fighter he kind of landed the left hand once or twice maybe but it wasn't anything that did any damage it was pretty boring really uh, Anders had success with a few 1-2s in the second round um, he, he started letting his right hand go with a jab and he was actually having success with it but he just abandons it after like 4 or 5 successful 1-2s in the space of like 45 seconds and just immediately goes back to the naked left hand trying to duck into a takedown Park uh, starts circling to the left of Anders which is a change from round 1 which does allow Anders to trap him easier as I was saying he just starts playing into his game uh, he, he circles to the left and Anders th- uh, throws the left hand uh, he circles to the right, sorry, and Anders starts throwing the left hand uh, and then shooting in for a takedown. Uh, and he just, like the left push against the cage and try and take down sequence, it just plays into it. Uh, Anders continually landing ground shots, being a very naughty boy, but he gets a stern warning from the referee for doing it and he doesn't do it again. Uh, Park starts looking for uppercuts when uh, Anders ducks in and kind of mimes the uppercut. Uh, and it seems to have an effect because Anders seems a little bit more reluctant to shoot for the takedown and uh, I think as the fight progressed from when when Park clocked that Anders was a bit more nervous to shoot the takedown after he got hit with an uppercut Anders became uh, Park became a bit more a bit heavily reliant on it to the point where he was leaving his hand very low uh, on his right side so that he could sh- hit the uppercut when Anders shot in uh, but Anders then had the whole left side, uh, the whole right side of Park's body to and head to throw his, his only left hand at, his exclusive left hand, uh, and, and he landed that a lot more in his in the third round because of that. But yeah, the second round was close. Anders seems to be controlling the fight, but not really getting the better of it. Like, he's in control of where the fight's taking place and, and, and like, being the aggressor, like, position-wise... But he's not really getting the better of the actual fight. Like, he's not landing the better shots. I think Parks not landed something like sixty or seventy percent, uh, which which of the shots he threw, which is like pretty good, especially against someone, uh, some someone who's always like moving towards you. But yeah, um, yeah, Park Park in the third round is carrying his right hand way too low. Uh, as as I said, trying to hit the uppercuts and punches when he's uh, doing a takedown he's standing way too upright for someone who's who's like basically a wrestling threat as well uh, but relying on that, that uppercut 
uh, carrying his right hand way too low. And he must know that like Anders' only striking th- threat is the left hand as well, and he's carrying it really low. So he seems like he can only defend one threat at a time, which he can only do in the third round because he's either using his right hand uppercut as a takedown defense or he's guarding his head with it from Anders' left hand. And Anders makes the read on that and just alternates between the left hand to the head and the takedown. He basically just throws the left hand to the head until Park moves his hand up there to defend against it. And as soon as he does that, he starts going for takedowns until... Park moves his hand back down to defend the takedown, and then Anders just switches back up to the headshots again. Uh, I I was surprised when Park won. I thought Anders was going to get the decision, but he didn't, and it was a tight fight. But Park gets the decision. I probably would have gave it Anders honestly. Like he did land a few of the left hands. He was the aggressor, but he didn't have much success with his game plan. And Park was landing a lot of shots, but they weren't like massively damaged or anything. It was. It wasn't a great fight all round, but yeah. Uh, I'm not. Go- I'm not going to talk about all the card, all the fights on the prelim. I'll just touch on a few of them. I didn't take notes on all the fights on the prelim. Honestly, I didn't get to watch live this week, but yeah. Uh, Parker Porter versus Jalen Almeida was next on the was on the undercard. It was a shit fight. It was. It was a shit fight, and because like Jalen Almeida just like executed and dominated. Uh, Coming in, there was a 40-pound... Oh, Jill, I mean, there's a light heavyweight, and Parker Porter obviously cuts to the fucking heavyweight limit. So there's a 40-pound weight difference in this fight. Um, but the, it's, it starts off straight away with a good takedown from Amida, who looks surprised that he doesn't get him down immediately. Obviously, probably not used to taking down guys who cut to 265. But, yeah, he, he shoots a takedown nice, puts him against the cage, and does lift him up and throw him on the ground. Most of the round, I want to talk about this as well. This whole round was spent um, basically with Almeida in the half guard of Porter landing shots, right? And this is something you see in MMA a lot, probably from guys who aren't uh, aren't aren't like particularly jiu-jitsu savvy. And 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 Parker Porter is obviously not much of a grappler, but he was holding a low half guard this whole fight. So basically, he was sitting in half guard with his his outside leg. On like across the hips of of Jill and Almeida, and if you do that in MMA, it's fine for jiu-jitsu depending on what your your game plan is. But if you do that in MMA, you're not guarding yourself because <laughs> you can just come over the top with punches. Uh, and it was just Porter was just getting it obliterated with the left hand. It was just landing at will to his face the whole time he was doing this. If he had put in a high half guard and just put his knee and the shin across the chest of Almeida and actually used it as a guard to keep Almeida at a distance while he was on his back, then that's a guard that's using the guard, actually playing the guard. Um, But he didn't do that. He kept a very low half guard and Almeida was able to just lean over and land the left hand at will. So yeah, a really, really, really bad guard play from, from Parker Porter. He was basically just symbolically in the guard and not actually using it to guard himself. Uh, which is is definitely a problem that you see a lot in MMA. But if you look, if you watch like proficient jiu-jitsu guys who understand that half guard is there's like a bu- bunch of different levels to half guard, um, then then you can see that a lot more. Like, uh, but yeah, Parker Porter clearly just doesn't understand that. He just thinks sitting in half guard is half guard, and he doesn't actually utilize his guard, and he seriously pays for it. 
Uh, and then Almeida literally just pushes that because he's holding the half guard so low Almeida is literally just like one quick movement away from breaking that half guard which he does and and gets into full mount uh, Porter turns to avoid the punches that are getting are getting through onto him and gets rear naked choked it was a very sound performance from Jilton Almeida uh, especially fighting someone who has 40 pounds of weight on you and, uh, and, and I do I look forward to seeing what's next from him I believe he's like something like like 18 and 2 or 18 and 3 or something like that in MMA uh which I mean he's 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 a grappling he's finished like eight fights I think by weird naked choke now uh I think he used to fight in a promotion called submission circus as well if that gives you any indication in what kind of fighter he is he didn't see much of a striking game in this fight um but he's an interesting an interesting prospect at light heavyweight for sure because there's not a whole lot of good grapplers there's not a whole lot of good fighters at light heavyweight really so yeah it'd be interesting to see see what happens with Almeida in the future uh, other fights on this card were Chase Hooper and Uros Medic winning uh, I didn't take notes on these fights but the Chase Hooper fight was good a, 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 a good step up uh, in ability look from, from Chase Hooper uh, before he was, he was he always seemed quite timid especially in striking exchanges but he was Walking forward, throwing punches and and getting getting the takedowns and and doing good work with it on the ground. Uh, apart from the the part where he just slid off the back, uh, I thought that was kind of weird. It was like jumping for arm bars and stuff that weren't really there, um, like judo style arm bars he was jumping for. Uh, which was which kind of silly. It would have it would have benefited from playing a bit slower, especially when he clearly had the grappling advantage as well. He could have definitely played it a bit slower and and maybe and maybe finished the fight earlier than he did, um. But you know it was a good performance and uh, I'm I'm always happy to see Chase Hooper doing well. He's a likable cunt. Another likable cunt is Uros Medic. Uros the Doctor Medic, who I quite like. Um, and he and he finished the fight with a a, a pounding left hand. Uh, I think right at the start of the second round. Um, done a good job. He he lost to I think it was Jalen Turner. He lost his last fight to. Uh, Medic did. I don't quite remember, but oh no, it was the spider. Is that Jan- is Jalen Turner the spider? I don't remember. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was a good good performance from Medic. Um, he he definitely should add a few more. Like he's he's good. He's got good hands, and he he does nice jobs with the straight kicks as well. But um, he's he's. I don't think he's quite like especially a lightweight. I see him being more of a kind of uh, kind of roster fighter than anyone who's going to climb the ranks at any alarming pace. But yeah, uh, all round, I enjoyed the card a little more than I expected to. It, it looked like a, a snorer going in. Oh, a, a quick shout out to um, to Joseph Holmes' cool knee knockout. It wasn't like a particularly great fight uh, from either of them anyway, but it was a fast one and it was a cool knockout. So that was that was nice as well. Probably got a knockout of the night or finish of the night or whatever i don't actually know if it did but it was cool uh anyway yeah uh that's that, that's going to be it for for this week uh, there's no ufc on next week so that's why it's a shorter episode there's nothing to preview uh i i can feel as i'm recording this that i'm saying obviously i'm a bit meta now uh this is only the second ever one that i've did so second ever like solo podcast i've did uh and it, it can be quite difficult to to just talk when you're not used to it uh, about something i don't have many f- people in real life that i know not none actually that that like mma so it's even just talking about mma out loud is a bit unusual for me but i'm 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 
trying my best to improve uh, analy- improve my ability to analyse fights. Uh, I've, I've been writing articles on it, which I find a lot easier to do than talking uh, because I can like sit down and watch the fight and like as I'm doing it kind of thing and like replay it five times uh, to, to like get the reads, but it's, it's a lot harder to do and like off the top of your head. I've got notes, but like I'm not watching the fight as I say it and I can't like re-say like obviously I can rephrase something if I've just typed it but I can go back and make sure it was right and, and reanalyze and things like that that you can't do when you're podcasting but you know I'm, I'm just doing it for fun so I will hopefully improve and it's not much it's not too much effort to sit for 45 minutes a week and, and talk shit about the UFC so I'm happy to do that and hopefully it will improve my ability to analyze fights and uh, the, the, the goal is to help it make me become a better writer really uh and and maybe get some discussion going. So yeah, I'm I'm enjoying myself doing it, and I do hope to improve. Hopefully, I can listen back to this in like a year's time when I've when I've done like fifty of these babies, and uh, and I'm a lot more comfortable talking uh like fluently about MMA. I've become a better speaker because I do say a a lot as well. Uh, mostly because I get like I I try and talk too fast and interrupt myself. It's better leaving like silence than saying eh if I just take a deep breath and talk a bit more slowly maybe more at this pace I will become better at this but yeah working on it and I will continue to improve hope I uh, hope you've enjoyed this episode if anyone's actually listening to it we got six listeners last week in the first episode which was more than I expected shout out Ashford USA whatever the fuck that is because like three people listen to it from there so someone told their friends shout out you but yeah, uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, BTLGBen, same on Instagram. Follow the show at Wobbled by a Jab. I've not actually posted anything on any of the social media accounts. I've not even made the Instagram account yet. Don't steal it. Uh, but yeah, if you rate it five stars, I don't even know how to end the podcast anymore. Man, I will see you next week.